You're listening to WALT. Homegrown. Homemade radio. Hello, ghost family. Welcome to Family Ghosts. I would like to begin this week with an apology. The episode is coming to your headphones a little bit later than usual, and that is because I was utterly swamped the last couple of weeks putting together the finale episode of The Rumor, which is the six-part miniseries I told you about a couple weeks ago here on a bonus episode, and which has just wrapped up as of this week. The last episode came out on Monday, and it's a story that I am so proud of. And if you haven't already, I humbly beseech you to take a listen to it. And if you listened to that bonus episode and were put off at all by the idea that it's about baseball and that made you think it's a sports podcast and that it being a sports podcast might not be something that you're interested in, which I would completely understand, what I want to say to you today is that it's a story about sports, but it's not a sports story. And me being the person that I am, I actually found a way to turn it into a family ghost's story. (laughs) It's also the story of a friendship, and it's also a story about faith and how sometimes we misplace it and sometimes we regain it. And you don't have to know anything about baseball to enjoy it. So please do take a listen, and please also accept my apologies for the delayed delivery of this week's episode of Actual Family Ghosts, about which the second thing I would like to say is the great meeting was great. If you listen to our previous episode, you will know what I mean. But my heart is feeling very full, and I'm feeling grateful for that. I hope that all of you had wonderful Thanksgivings, or at the very least, story-worthy Thanksgivings. One of the high points of mine was my brother Jake giving my girlfriend's mom, Karen, a tarot card reading. The third thing I would like to tell you is what is on the show this week, which is two stories recorded live in Washington, D.C., which is not far from where I grew up in Alexandria, Virginia. It's a part of the world that I associate with all of my most formative moments of emotional resonance, all of the moments, many of which were familial, that made me realize something that was core and essential to the person that I am. For example, and this is a story that I tell in much greater detail in the rumor, the front stoop of my parents' house, where I used to spend hours and hours in the summer with a baseball bat, all by myself, painstakingly recreating the batting stances of every player in the Baltimore Orioles starting lineup, as well as every player in the opposing starting lineup of whoever the Orioles were playing that night in real life, while simultaneously improvising a live radio broadcast of the game that I was acting out physically. Those hours are some of the most formative emotional hours of my entire youth. And I've been thinking a lot recently of how specific the physical backdrop, the stage set, if you will, of those memories is. The wide, fat leaves of the tree across the street, the sleek black of the Dodge that was always parked in front of our house and that I used to check the accuracy of the batting stances I was recreating in the reflective windows of, 
the way the sun would set behind the street lamp above our neighbor's house, the smell of the onion grass that grew in our front yard. Those physical memories live as much in the foreground as do my obsessive recreations of center fielder Mike Devereaux tapping the dirt from his cleats between imaginary pitches. And the reason I love the two stories that you are about to hear today is because as much as they are about family, they are also about place. Our two storytellers, in my opinion, do such a beautiful job of situating themselves at tender, formative times in their life in physical spaces that clearly continue to loom large in their reverie. First up, Family Ghost's favorite, Michaela Bly. So I'm going into ninth grade and I'm nervous. And of course, when you go into ninth grade, you're nervous, right? It's going to be a new school, new friends, whatever. Um, But I'm nervous in a really specific way. I don't know who my friends are going to be when I get to high school. And then Jeff Zimmerman. Everybody gets bullied all over America and then they move to Washington, D.C. and live right next to the worst bullies on earth. It's so weird. It's either like people that did model UN or people that want to destroy the UN. From WALT-FM and PRX, you're listening to Family Ghosts. I'm Sam Dingman. We'll be right back. Hi. Oh, it's a little dark. But it's these lovely glowy lights, which is really comforting for me. Um, Okay. Hi. It's 1991. And I'm going into ninth grade. I will let you do the math. Think about how good I look for my age. Thank you. Um, um, So I'm going into ninth grade, and I'm nervous. And of course, when you go into ninth grade, you're nervous, right? It's going to be a new school, new friends, whatever. Um, But I'm nervous in a really specific way. Eighth grade, I'm going to be honest with you, had been uh, the worst year of my life so far. My friends had sort of left me and then spent the whole year tormenting me. And um, now it's summer, and bar and bat mitzvah season is over, so no one's parents are making them invite me anyplace. And I don't know who my friends are going to be when I get to high school. I don't know what's going to happen. And then something amazing happens. Um, I lived in the country in uh, northeastern Connecticut, and there was a pond by my house. And um, I went swimming there, and there was this other girl who was also um, going into ninth grade, um, who I had known but hadn't been friends with. And we started swimming together and sort of became friends. And her name was Jess. And she was so much cooler than me, you guys. She had so much gel in her hair that when her face would move, her hair would sort of like stay in the same place, you know? And she wore fishnets and jean shorts over her fishnets. It's 1991. This is very cool, right? And, and she was a lipstick girl, and I was a chapstick girl. So clearly she knew more than me, right? And she was not worried about ninth grade at all. She tells me, oh, it's going to be totally fine. We're going to hang out with um, my older brother. She tells me all about him. He's going into 10th grade. He's really cool. He's really bad. His name is Josh. And she finally invites me over to her house. And it takes me about 30 seconds to fall deeply in love with Josh. He's very tall. He has an asymmetrical haircut. 
again, 91, and he, and maybe they're coming back, I don't know. Um, and, uh, and he says, oh yeah, don't even worry about ninth grade. You'll hang out with us. You'll come to GFD, it'll be awesome. And Jess is like, oh yeah, GFD, like she knows what GFD is. And I say, okay, what's GFD? I, at this point, had never been invited to join a club that wasn't Hebrew school. Um, or to be totally honest, spelling team uh, were my two big ones, varsity, by the way. Um, um, so anyway, I say, what's GFD? And he says, oh, it's German folk dancing. It'll be awesome. Please remember he was billed to me as uh, bad and cool. But there's another problem with this, which is, um, as you might know, if you listen to Family Ghosts season one, um, I am the grandchild of four Holocaust survivors. We got rules in my family about German stuff. You don't drive German cars. You don't take German in school. My friends in sixth grade, my friend in sixth grade had had a German dishwasher, and when my parents would come and pick me up, they would call that dishwasher the little Nazi on the way home. I know, in poor taste, but that's our family, right? And so I'm pretty sure I'm not supposed to learn the traditional dances of Germany, or Bavaria, or whatever. And, um, but, <laughs> these are my new friends. This is my shot. And so to Josh and Jess, I say, okay. And I am the kind of 14-year-old who has never broken a family rule. But September comes, and I go to the first German folk dancing practice. And the first thing we learned to do is polka. And I quickly learned that Josh was correct. German folk dancing is awesome. Because at this point, I had seen dirty dancing several times. <laughs> And the third person I danced with was Josh. And I was like, this is it. <laughs> I know that because of Dirty Dancing, how you fall in love is through high stakes dancing. <laughs> and that's what this is. So I'm coming back every Thursday, like I'm in. I'm, I'm absolutely in. Uh, the problem is, of course, I am also the kind of 14 year old, as you might imagine, who told her parents everything. So I had to tell my parents. I couldn't get at the nerve and finally we're at dinner one night and they knew about eighth grade and the friends and all that stuff. And so my mom is asking me, have you been making friends? Like how's school? And I'm trying to get up my nerve to tell them. So I sort of warm up to it and I say, things have been really good actually. Um, I got invited to join a dance club. My mom says, that's so great. You love to dance. Like what is it? Is it ballet? Is it modern dance? What are you doing? And I say, um, it's German folk dancing and there's silence at the dinner table. And my mom looks at my dad, and my dad looks at my mom, this thing passes between them. And my dad finally looks at me and just goes, we respect your decision. <laughs> and he doesn't explain, but I also don't ask, because I got dirty dancing to get back to. <laughs> So I, they let me go. I don't understand it, but they let me go. And I go every Thursday, and, and the German Folk Dancing Club becomes my weird group of people. Like, they are my people. We have private jokes. I knew all of Monty Python, which was like a big advantage with this group. And we, we, we talk on the phone till late at night, and it's so fun, and I just found my weird, my weird crew. And then towards December, everyone's talking about the lock-in. Are you going to the lock-in? Are you going to the lock-in? And I say, I don't know. What's the lock-in? And Jess says, it's where you get locked into a church overnight. You, someone's been to one. Um, 
<laughs> you, you play games, you sing songs, it's boys and girls, and someone always makes out. And Josh looks at me and goes, it'd be great if you came. And I'm like, hell yeah, I'm going to the lock-in. <laughs> like, sign me up, just tell me what church to show up at. And Jess says, well, all you have to do is join St. Stephen's Catholic Youth Group. We don't even have rules about Catholic stuff in my family. Like, why would we have to have rules in my, my family about that? We're Jewish. We're not religious Jewish, but we are, like, culture. We do all the stuff, you know? We just don't do the, like, stuff. I, you know, we... we... <laughs> but I'm pretty sure I'm not supposed to join a church group. <laughs> but to Josh and Jess, I say, Absolutely. And now I have to tell my parents. Because, by the way, I could try to sneak out to spend the night at a church youth group lock-in, but even I, at that age, understood the irony of that. That, like, that's not the thing you sneak out to do. So, we're at dinner, house school, really great. Still trying to get up the nerve. I say, I'm, I'm, I got invited to join a service organization. And my mom says, that's so wonderful. Service is so important. Uh, what is it? Is it Kadima? Is it Habitat for Humanity? Like, what are you doing? And I say, it's St. Stephen's Catholic Youth Group. Silence. My mom looks at my dad. My dad looks at my mom. That same look passes between them. And my dad finally looks at me and says, don't tell your grandmother. <laughs> but we respect your decision. And once again, no explanation. They just let me go. And I go. I join St. Stephen's Catholic Youth Group. I go to the lock-in. I'm going to tell you right now, this is not the romantic comedy ending that we all wanted for me for this. I know. I did not make out with... It's okay. My, did I really want to make out with Josh? Yes. That's... Yes, I did. <laughs> it's all right. Uh, it was kind of boring. You know, I didn't really understand most of the songs, but like I ate a bunch of candy and had some fun with my friends. And um, I didn't actually stay in St. Stephen's Catholic Youth Group much longer after that, as you can imagine. Um, and in fact, a lot of us didn't really stay in the German folk dancing for too long. We all sort of moved over to Model United Nations, which was like more my speed the following year. And, and that was sort of the end of that. And, um, you know, that... Time went on. Um, I, I lived my life. I, I ended up dating mostly, almost exclusively, Irish Catholic boys and men. My parents never said anything about it. Um, and by the way, if you're Jewish and you're, you date a lot of Irish Catholic men, they all sort of want to be the first one to give you Christmas, which I think is really funny. That's a whole other story. Anyway... I never understood it. My parents never, my parents never really made any comments about it, and I never really asked them about all of this in high school. And it wasn't until a couple of years ago, because my niece was um, deciding whether she wanted to go to Hebrew school. She was like eight years old, and she gets to make her own decisions because it's 2018 at that point, and that, that's how it works. And um, and so we were all sort of talking about religious education, and I said to my dad finally, "Am I remembering this right?" did you let me join St. Stephen's Catholic Youth Group? Or is that like something I made up in my head? And he was like, yes, yes, I did. Very proud. And I said, so now we're both adults. Like, what was that about? Like, why did you let me join St. Stephen's Catholic Youth Group? And he got really serious. And he said, you know, if your kid is crying every day after school in eighth grade, and then the next year, they're having fun and they've got a bunch of friends they like, and you are always quoting that weird stuff on the phone all the time, um, and they're happy, 
And that's all you really want is for them to be happy. So you're going to respect their decision. Thank you. My head has been the same has my head has been the same size since I was in the fifth grade, and I've just gained like 150 pounds and 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 some height. But my, I was fortunate in that my parents sent me to a special school for children with enormous heads, and I fit in very well there. Like the coolest guy in the whole school could solve a Rubik's cube like so fast. And that, like, if that's the metric for success, I'm, I'm in. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't do Rubik's Cubes, but I could draw the X-Men, like, real well. And that got me a spot at the lunch table. And that was, that was going good. The kids in the neighborhood, less so. Uh, less, significantly less so, probably because I could draw the X-Men so well. But I, I just, like, this is, look, I'm standing on stage at a storytelling show talking about my feelings Right, you're right to assume this is a story about being bullied as a child, and you guys paid money to hear the story about my feelings, so you were probably bullied as children too, <laughs> right? There's, we don't need to feel bad for anybody here. Let's just talk about facts. So many, so many bullied people. This is great. Everybody gets bullied all over America, and then they move to Washington D.C. and live right next to the worst bullies on earth. It's so weird. It's either like people that did model UN or people that want to destroy the UN. And anyway, it's a tangent. Uh, so yeah, like I would just, I would, I would get tackled real hard, like when we were supposed to be playing touch football. And I could kind of, you know, brush it off and be like, ah, oh, that fellas just get a little excited, you know. But then uh, when I got tackled playing basketball, I, I, I recognized that I had a problem, you know, and. I went home and to talk to my dad about it, and every day after work, my dad would be sitting there on a couch, right, shirt open, necktie loose, but he's still wearing his necktie and his ID badge from the CIA, and he's sitting there watching, you know the Harrison Ford movie, Witness? His favorite five minutes of cinema is the part where Harrison Ford, dressed as an Amish person, gets out of a, boogie, uh, gets out of a buggy, and whips the tar out of some people that bullied his new Amish friends. He just would watch that and laugh and then rewind and watch it again. We had to tape it off network television like three different times because the tape got all wiggly from him like kept running it back and laughing. And that's the home I grew up in, you know? So I would just kind of walk up to that. I don't know what he did at the CIA, really. Uh, I, I know what he did at the CIA. I can't tell you. Let's just call it field work, okay? Like, so I would come home and I told my dad, like, dad, I'm really getting, getting whipped out here, you know? And he was like, Jeffrey, I feel so bad for you. I wish this wasn't happening, but I cannot fight your battles for you. Like you have to, you have to learn how to take care of yourself. This is hard for me. And I know it's hard for you, but you, you gotta, you gotta really give it a try. You know, I can't just be getting involved all the time, but what I'm going to do, we're going to go down the basement and I'm going to teach you a little bit about how to fight. And I, we went downstairs and I did some pad work, you know, on his hands. He taught me to throw a cross. The guys would do this thing where they'd like knock my glasses off and then hit me in the face when I went for the glasses. So he taught me how to block and counter real quick. 
And the thing is, he did a lot of, he, I heard him talking a lot about like critiquing people's reports at work, you know? So I don't know if he was actually the best guy to teach anybody how to fight, but he was the best guy to teach me how to fight. And that's what counted right then. And then I just went back out in the world and I felt a little more confident, you know, and one day I'm at the pool and with my little sister and the jerks in the neighborhood took my sister and held her underwater like way, way longer than I ever would have did it. And, <laughs> and you know, I'm, it's, I, I know her limits, you know, and uh, we have a code. And I'm like, so I like, she's really spazzing out down there. So I ran up and like sort of tackled the guys off of her and they let her up from the, the water. She was all blue and just like puking water on the deck of the pool. And I was just furious. And I was just like, I have decided there's gonna be a fight, so I might as well throw the first punch. But I like all the pad work stuff went out the window and it was way outnumbered. So I was like, let me just kick as many nutsacks as I can find. <laughs> just like, just like, just do as many, take out as many guys as I can, just Wolverine. In my head, like Wolverine claws popped out. Nobody else could see him. And then so, you know, a couple guys my age went down and then some ninth graders, they really said this. They said, hey, he's fighting dirty. Let's get him. And they held me like face down in the mulch and just kicked me in the ribs and face every time I brought my face up for a breath. And um, like every time I came up, I would just see like vans, airwalks to the teeth. This is the mid 1980s, you know, and um, I finally got home. And I was like, I had a cracked rib and a black eye and I was really messed up. And my dad was just like, oh, my God. Oh God, this this is awful. Oh God, I hate I hate seeing this. But like, we gotta, you know, he cleaned me up. He gave me a couple of pep talks. But he's like, I don't want to go, I don't want to go get in there because I gotta. If people people fix your problems for you, then you grow up to be a completely useless adult. And and I just I can't have this. And I'm watching, but I'm I'm worried, you know. And I was like, well, I'm getting my ass kicked, and I'm worried too. So, you know, and. You know, we just let, the, let it ride for now. And then one day I'm coming home from school from, you know, the special school bus at the special bus stop. And I got off the bus and all these neighborhood kids surrounded me. And one of them put me in a full Nelson real quick. And this kid in front of me just popped a switchblade. And I know this guy goes, Jesus Christ. And like, I would like to point out, this is not the Bronx in the 1970s. This is Herndon, Virginia, 1987. <laughs> this is Donnie Darko country, okay? Like, everybody's just getting divorced and teasing out their bangs and ignoring their kids, I guess, because, like, you also could get bladed weapons in the mail with no ID at that time. We used to throw throwing stars in at the forest after school. Not, like, at a tree, but just at the whole concept of the forest. Anyway, so the, he's got the switchblade, and he's waving it around like this, and I remember him saying, did you save anything from, from your lunch for me today, Jeffrey? Did you? And my mouth has always been way bigger than my survival instinct. And I was just like, no, oh, maybe you should have tried to cut me uh, before lunch, dumbass. You know, and, and they, they saw it as a valid point, you know, and they kind of shoved me away. And in falling, the blade cuts my coat and all stuffing comes out. And I just ran home. And I, got, I got home and I, I saw my dad and he was like, Jesus Christ, what happened to you? And I was just like, there were just some kids up there um, and they had a switchblade, but it was like only one switchblade. So I could probably handle it. Just like, give me a sec. And he goes, 
oh no, come here. And he just takes my hand and, and we just start walking out the back door through like the woods behind the house. And I was like, where are we going? He goes, I'm getting involved now. And so we, we cut up this path through the woods up to the back of this kid's house. And he was sitting there on the driveway on a skateboard, just like rocking back and forth and like tossing the knife around and laughing. Just like, it was such a, it was too on the nose for Stranger Things. You know what I mean? It's just like too, too much cheesiness is going on right now. But he's like, <laughs> and all his buddies are like, yeah, that was cool. And then my dad just comes walking right up to them and doesn't break his stride at all, just walking very quickly with purpose. And he just like picks his foot up and he just goes, boom, puts it right on the kid's chest, knocks him off the skateboard and just bam, pins him to the driveway. And he's just flopping around under my dad's foot and just going <laughs> like that. Like, like, you know, when you stomp on a roach and it's not dead, like that. And the other kids are just like, yeah, because from their perspective, an adult man in a necktie had emerged from the forest and taken out their leader, like immediately. So, and they were just like, ah! And my dad is just like, oh, I see why you're picking on people smaller than you. Mm, like that, it's, it's so fun, I'm into this, ah! like that. And the kid is just like, like as my dad stomps down on him. And I was this is so awesome. <laughs> and, and, and he goes, give me that switchblade. And I went for it. And he goes, no, 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 not you. Not you, Jeffrey. Nobody in this family is getting their prints on an illegal switchblade. <laughs> you, give me that switchblade. And he like took it in his shirt and he looked at it and he was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, seen these before. And he just like threw it on the ground, kicks it into the storm sewer, and he's just pointing at the kids and he's like, I would hate, hate to have to discuss this in incident with y'all's parents later on this evening. I don't think any of us wants that, now do we? And they were like, oh no, 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 don't tell our parents. No, 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 we'll be good, don't tell our parents. And they didn't know that what he meant was, I would hate to have to talk to your parents about this because I'm a 41-year-old man and I just stomped on a ninth grader and tried to crush his windpipe. I'll go to jail, you know? But <laughs> He was just like, yeah, let's keep that between us for now. And they were like, yeah, sure, totally. And we went, we're going back home, and I was just like, Dad, what, what was all that about? And I thought you weren't going to get involved. And he, he's, he says, well, hey, listen, I, I called it wrong, and I am really sorry. And he says, I got to tell you something. It's important to learn to fight your own battles, but the other thing that's important is when you see something that's wrong going on right in front of you, and you know it's wrong, and you can try to put a stop to it, and you don't, you might as well be doing it too. Nobody will sympathize with you just for letting it happen. You got to get in there you got to apply yourself and turn that wrong right and I was like okay got it and like I went on to just get beat up for years after like trying to apply that and it didn't even bother me like because I had right on my side and decades go by decades I grew, I grew all up and everything moved to New York City and I'm at the movies with my best buddies and I mean, I feel like if we are talking about th this dude getting bullied in the 1980s, it's safe for you to assume I'm super into Batman. And so we're watching The Dark Knight Rises in IMAX. Like, I don't think that's a tough call. And we're, we're like, you know, center, center row, center aisle, just right there, perfect seats. I'm taking it in and it's magical. And then the people behind us are just talking. And they're not like, hey, what do you want some more popcorn? They're like, just talking, just regular. 
Like, like, like we're just a bunch of hairy dolls in their IMAX living room. Like nobody else is here but them. Just like, what do you think? I don't know. Let's go. Let's talk about it later. No, but let's keep also talking now. You know, it, like it just kept going. And I turned around twice to be like, could you just shush it? You know, come on. And, and I could really only sort of see the girl because the, the seats are steep, you know. And then, so this, that happened twice. And then the guy's phone rings. And he takes the call. And he's just like, hello? And, you know, you guys... You guys aren't going to believe this, okay? He was, this guy, the, here's what's going on in his life. There is a party going on on the other side of a town that he lives in, and he's trying to decide if he and his girlfriend can make it to that party because they have such busy lives, and they sometimes become tired, right? And I'm like, boy, am I worried about this problem right now. And then I start getting, I'm mad at him, like, fuck you for talking to everybody, but also I'm mad for the host, like, how is this guy supposed to know how much food to get? Commit, you know? And then, and then... And then I was just like, also, where is Batman is down in that fighting pit? We got to get him out. Y'all won't shut up. Like, this is Jesus Christ. So I turned around to, and said, would you just shut up? And when I turned, my hand, like, touched the guy on the knee. And he went for my face immediately. And just the training kicked in, you know, all those years, block, counter, right? People going for the glasses. I smacked his hand away, threw a punch, and I missed him, but I just grabbed his shirt. And I was getting ready, I was like, ready to do it. And then right then, Gotham City exploded in the movie, it blew up, and it lit up the whole theater, and it was a 14-year-old kid. <laughs> his, his, his voice changed early, I guess. And, and I was just holding him by the throat, and to him, he's just seeing a city in flames, and then just like, Aah! you know, like, and, and, <laughs> I saw it like how just little he was, and I was like, oh my God, I just put him down. I was like, it's okay. okay. And I just sat down and tried to make myself very tiny for the remainder of the movie. I don't have any idea how that movie ended. <laughs> and, and it's like, because you couldn't, you can, I, think, I feel like that's a reason to punch somebody in the movies, you know? But, like, but then the cops are going to come, right? The cops come, and they'll be like, what was your reason for punching this teenager at, at the movies? tonight and and it's like well you know I, it's just such a great reason but it's really like a rich tapestry that goes back 20 years at this point <laughs> so let's just let's just go on downtown to get that phone call going you know <laughs> like let's don't waste time and i don't know my dad my dad gave me a very acute sense of right and wrong and like i'm very sensitive to petty injustice and I just have gone around my whole life just being like, I'm going to get involved if I see wrong. And I'm going to try to get involved a little quicker than dad did on that one too, you know? So, like, I'm just, I'm just doing it. I'm, I'm, I'm inserting myself. I want to see the world become a place of right. But the thing is, is I am no longer a nerdy fifth grader, okay? I occupy this body now and i'm walking around responding to a trauma nobody remembers or cares about right no, nobody's like we need a hero oh here he is great like there's no bat signal on the clouds it's just people screwing with their phones in a movie theater and i'm out here fixing it causing trauma for somebody else that they then are going to overreact to and just keeping that chain going and i, I don't know how to stop it you guys are awesome good night <laughs> Thank you.
Family Ghosts is hosted and produced by me, Sam Dingman. Our storytellers this week were Michaela Bly and Jeff Zimmerman. You can learn more about both of them in the show notes for this episode. Special thanks this week to Keith Reynolds and Chris Norvett, who were instrumental in making our live show in D.C. happen. Our show art is by Teddy Blanks, and our theme song is by Louis Guerra. Family Ghosts is made possible in part by the generous donations of the Kindred Spirits, our community of supporters on Patreon. For just $5 a month, Kindred Spirits hear all of our episodes ad-free, and they get bonus content that's not available anywhere else. We wouldn't be able to make Family Ghosts without the Kindred Spirits. So if you have the means, please consider joining them today at patreon.com slash familyghosts. And if you don't have the means, no worries. Thank you for listening. Please consider supporting the show for free by leaving us a review in Apple Podcasts. It will take 30 seconds of your life, and it will make a huge difference in the ongoing life of Family Ghosts. We'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode of Family Ghosts, where every house is haunted. <laughs>